There's a verse of scripture I want to read. Be on the screen. I want you to listen to its words. James 5, 16 through 18. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Now I want you to get this. Is, this is the one I want you to see right here. The effective, fervent prayer of a, underline the word righteous. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And the word, the key there, is righteous. Do, do you ever wonder why? I've just been thinking about this for a few days. That um, there's so many prayers that are unanswered. We pray. We pray for our loved ones. We pray for healing. We pray for our nation. We pray for revival. And um, we pray. And we pray specifically. But then sometimes I ask myself, God, where is the power of answered prayer? I know you answer prayer. But Lord, it seems like that we just don't see the answers that we long for. And that we believe you for. And that we pray for. Where's the evidence of the power of answered prayer? Now, we pray because God told us to pray. Oh, he made it very clear throughout his word that we as his children are to pray. And notice as his children that we are to pray. And he not only told us to pray, but he promised us that he would answer our prayers over and over again. He gave a promise that he would answer our prayers. But you know, sometimes we pray and things seem to get worse. We pray and the conflict seems to be greater. We pray for the nation and it seems to get darker. We pray for revival and then we hear of denominations and organizations that just turn in away from uh, from God. So I, I want to try to answer the question this morning. What's the key to answered prayer? I guess I could answer it, th- uh, approach it this way. Why, why does it, well, just why is it that so many prayers are unanswered? I think that's a valid question to ask because God promised to answer prayer. All right. I want to give you, first of all, some things that God said about prayer. And then I want to show you the reason why that many prayers, I believe, aren't answered. You know, in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, to show you how um, important prayer is, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to, Lord, teach us to pray. So he did. Look at it. He said, when you pray, say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for, from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. So he taught us to pray, but now I want you to look at the next verse. Right after that, he told us not to give up when we pray. He told us to be persistent when we pray. Now, now look at this story. I love the way... Jesus could take something we understand and to teach us a spiritual truth. He said, he said to them, which of you have a friend? Now, this is Luke 5. Which of you have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lead me three loaves. So here's this guy. He, he next to your neighbor. He comes to your door midnight and he knocks on the door and says, man, I need three loaves of bread. Well, for a friend of mine has come to me on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. I don't have any bread. Well, listen to what the guy said. And he will answer from within, do not trouble me. 
The door is, not, is now shut. My children are with me in bed. Wow. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, this is Jesus talking. Though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend. Don't miss this. Because of his persistence. He just kept on knocking. I believe he'll go away. Don't he know I'm not going to get up and wake the kids up? He just kept on knocking. He didn't give up. Now, Jesus is talking about prayer. He said, I say to you, though he will not rise to give to him because he is friend, because of his persistence, he just didn't stop knocking. He will give to him. Now, look what the next verse Jesus said. I'm telling you, he told, look what he said. So I say to you, by the way, that's you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. And he goes on and says, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds and to him that knocks, it will be open. Man, what a promise. He said, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. And, 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 you, and it, it will be given to you. It will be given to you. Now, my, my concern is, it's obvious that God says he, we are to pray. Would he be faithful and persistent in praying? And he says that he will answer. There's a great verse in John 14, 12 through 14. I want you to look at this one. Now, this is Jesus telling, I'm encouraging you by praying. Most assuredly, I say to you that he who believes in me, the works that I will do, he will do also. And greater works than these because I go to my Father. Then we go on. Are you ready for this? It's about prayer. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it that the Father may be glorified. The purpose of answered prayer, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then there's one other great verse on how God commands us to pray and God promises to answer prayer and that how we have access into the very throne room of God. It's in Hebrews chapter 4. And it's, in, it's verse 14 through 16. Now look, this is your privilege and mine. Listen, th- th- we're, not, we're not shut out from God's presence by the veil. The veil in the temple has been torn in two. And so we have access into the very presence of God through Jesus. And th- th- look what it says. Seeing then that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold fast our confession. Let's don't give up. For we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but it was in all points tempted, Jesus was, just like we are, yet without sin. And then he said, let us therefore. I love this. It's all about praying now. Let us come boldly. To the throne of grace. How? Through the blood of Christ. Through our great high priest. He's talking about coming to the throne to pray. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy. Oh how we need mercy. And find grace. Oh how we need grace. To help us in time of need. So here we see. Over and over and over. God's promise. About prayer. But I want to ask you. Why are so many of our prayers seem to be unanswered? By the way, the early church, those Christians from Pentecost forward, oh, you're talking about praying. And you know what they saw? You know what the church in the book of Acts saw? They saw the power of answered prayer. Oh, man. In Acts 4.31, look what happened. And when they had prayed, they had just gotten out, uh, Peter and John had just gotten out of jail. 
So they went back to the church and had a prayer meeting. And look what it says. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. Well, can you imagine? They were just praying, and all of a sudden they thought it was an earthquake. God shook the place where they were praying. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God with boldness. The, early, the church in the book of Acts moved forward on its knees, and God answered prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. And I'm asking God, where is the power of answered prayer? But there's a great one in Acts chapter 12, verse 5. You know, most of the time, Peter and Paul and them were in jail because they preached the gospel. Now look right here at this verse. I'll show you what the power of prayer is. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Here's Peter in jail. Boy, that's big time for the church now. And boy, they were on their faces saying, God, Get him out of jail. Lord, get him out of jail. They didn't have any money. They couldn't pay no bail. They didn't have bail anyway. Lord, get him out of jail. And when Herod was about to bring Peter out, that night Peter was sleeping bound with two chains <laughs> between two soldiers. Wouldn't you love to have been those two shoulders, soldiers chained to Peter? He preached to them, I know, all night long. All night long. Boy, he just kept telling them about Jesus. Well, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Look what happened. Now, the church is praying, y'all. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. Light shone in the prison. He stuck Peter, struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Man, that's the power. Of answered prayer. And then the angel said, get up and get your clothes on and follow me. Man, now listen. Man, I know you pray. We all pray. And we do see answer to our prayers. But I, I'm telling you, we do not see the power of, of prayer, the power of life-changing, transforming, culture-changing prayer in, happening in our, in, our, in, our, in our lives. And so I'm asking the question, why? Do we not see the power of answered prayer the way we should? Okay. Let me tell you why some prayers are unanswered. All right, here's the first one. Someone said, and to, to some degree it is true, that God answers all prayer. To some prayer, to a prayer that's within his will. You have prayed within the will of God and God says, that's in my will. And God answers that prayer by saying yes and answering that prayer. He does what you've asked him to do. Sometimes they say that God answers prayer by saying no. Because it's not his will. You may think it is, but God knows better than you know. And you're praying for something that's not in the will of God for you. And so God doesn't say yes. He says no. Then there others say there's a third way. God doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no, but God says, wait. It's not my time. And, and I can understand that. You pray in the will of God, and God says yes. You pray something outside the will of God, God says no. And you pray something, and God says, wait, it's not my time. However, however, I'm going to tell you the key. Why so many of our prayers are unanswered. Now this is, this is pretty strong. And it's pretty troubling. But it's the word of God. And, and it's going to help you to see. How you, you can see more. Of the power. Of God's answered prayer in your life. Regardless of who and what you're paying for. There are three passages I want you to look at. And then I'm going to tell you how. To pray with power that your prayers are answered. This is the whole purpose of it. So, to, so that we will know how to pray with power so our prayers are answered. Well, in Isaiah 55, it tells us to seek the Lord. Look what it says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. But now he says, get, get your heart right with God. Let the wicked forsake his way. 
The unrighteous man, underscore that word unrighteous. The unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord. For he will have mercy on him. Return to the Lord. He will have mercy on you. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. Okay. But now here's the verse God just etched on my heart. I said, Lord, that's such a strong verse. But he said, it's true. Let me ask you something. Do you believe that God is the everlasting God who does not change and can do anything he has ever done? If you believe that, say amen. Amen. That's right. God hadn't changed. He is awesome and mighty and powerful. He, He knows all. He's omniscient. He knows all God does. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. There's nowhere you can go to get out of the presence of God. And he's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. So he has not changed. Now, so I say, well, Lord, you haven't changed. You taught us how to pray. You commanded us to pray. We have access into your very throne room through the blood of Jesus. God, why in this world don't we see the power of answered prayer? We pray and pray and pray. And God then, it just seems like now we see answers. Thank God. But it's just so many that it just doesn't seem, we don't see the hand of God. Why? Here it is. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. What he's saying is God hadn't changed. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. He said, God's arm is as long as it's ever been. He can reach the deepest sinner. He can reach the deepest darkness. He can penetrate the deepest darkness. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy. God is not hard of hearing. He's not hard of hearing. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Now, iniquity is sin that just continues on in your life. On one occasion, Jesus said to those who came to him, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Iniquity is sin that is constantly working in our life. Behold, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Wait a minute. Your sins have hidden his face from you. And he will not hear. Wait a minute, Brother Fred. Are you telling me that God's hand is not shortening his that he cannot save his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. But it's our iniquities and our sin that has separated us from us and hidden his face from us. And he will not hear. That is exactly what the Bible says. And then there's another verse. And it's in Psalm 66. I'm, and by the way, the purpose of this message is to Show you how to get on praying ground. How to get into position where you can pray and see the power of God. Oh, yes. We know the problem. God's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. But your, your iniquities and your sin has hidden his face from you and he will not hear. Now, so he goes on again in Psalm 66 verse 16. Come and hear all you who fear, the, fear God. I will declare to you what God has done for me, for my soul. I cried, all right, now here it is, prayer. I cried to him with my mouth and, and, and praised him, extolled him, praised him with my tongue. But listen to this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. Boy, you say, Brother Fred. That's pretty strong. You know, I've cried to him and I praised him, but he said, I want you to know, if I regard iniquity, if when I pray, there's that in my life, 
that is sinful. That in my life which does not please God. Then he won't hear me. It says, but your sins, uh, go back to the verse before that, verse 18. If I regard iniquity, if I get down to pray and I know I'm not right, I know something's wrong. I know my fellow, I'm saved. He's my father. He's given me his righteousness. But I get down to pray and I know something's not right. I know it's wrong in my heart. I, re- I know it, but I regard that iniquity in my heart. I do not do anything about it. The Lord doesn't hear me. And there certainly won't be an answer if God doesn't hear you. Now, one of the greatest things that I was ever taught by any preacher, missionary, was the powerful truth that Miss Bertha Smith taught me early and taught so many of you that in order to have power with prayer, power in prayer, you got to be on praying ground. And she used to say, now you're on praying ground. Now if you're on praying ground, you're going to pray and you're going to see God move. But she said, you've got to be on praying ground. And so she wouldn't pray with you until you had pretty much settled in your own heart that there was no iniquity in your heart. She wouldn't pray with you until you, she was pretty sure, you were pretty sure that there was no sin in your heart. And Miss Bertha taught us, and it, it's been forever etched in my mind, that if you're going to be on praying ground, your sins have to be confessed up to date. When you get down to pray, that as far as you know, there's no unconfessed sin in your heart. Now, it's not your responsibility. Now, you better hear this or the devil will beat you up. It's not your responsibility to dig up sin in your life, to go down there and try to dig it up, dig it up. Oh, no, 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 no. It is the duty and the ministry of the Holy Spirit To convict us of our sin. Jesus said when he has come. He will convict the world of sin. Righteousness and judgment. And so when we get down to pray. If there's unconfessed sin in our life. We're regarding iniquity in our heart. If when we get down to pray. Our pray period. If there's unconfessed sin. Sin we have not dealt with. And if there is, now stay with me, and you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit will show you. Oh, he'll show you. Oh, I promise you. If you get down and get ready to pray, and you start to pray, and the Holy Spirit says, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? Are you going to confess that? Are you going to agree with me that it was a sin? Are you going to deal with it? Well, no. Lord, it wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. Are you going to rationalize it? Are you going to blame it on someone else? Or are you going to accept the responsibility? Well, it, hey, not long ago, a few, some time ago, I was in, praying with some people. And, 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 and as I was praying, the Lord reminded me about something that I had said about someone about four or five months ago. It may have been six months ago. And he reminded me of it. And he asked me, he said, you know that was wrong. He told me, you know that was wrong, don't you? I said, yeah, it was. And you know your thoughts were wrong, right? I said, yeah, you're right. And I knew until I agreed with God that that was a sin. And repented, said, God, I repent. That means I don't want that in my life. I turn from it. That I'm wasting God's time praying. I was wasting my time. God doesn't have time. He's eternal. I was wasting my time. And let me just say this to you. You've got to be on praying ground. When you get down to pray, or wherever you're praying, washing the dishes, driving the car with your eyes open, it doesn't matter whatever you are doing, whatever you are doing, when you get ready to pray, we need to ask the Lord. I want to be on praying ground. I want to be on praying ground. You see, 
at Woodlawn Baptist Church right before I became pastor of Cottage Hill Baptist Church. Miss Bertha came and spent three days with us. And she taught on the holiness of God and the sinfulness of sin. Then she told everybody, all right, now, God's going to convict you, and I want you to get alone with God. Now I want you to get a piece of paper, and I want you to ask the Lord to search you and know you and show you anything in your life, any sin, any iniquity. And so that's exactly what we did. We got alone with God, and we asked the Lord to show us and to convict us. And then she, she did that for about two days. And people, boy, God had shown them, and they had repented, and they were about to die to, to go in and pray with Miss Bertha. You know, I mean, they could have prayed without her, but, you know, you just wanted somebody to pray with you that just left heaven. I mean, you know, it was unbelievable. And they would call me up and say, when's she going to go let me pray with her? I said, soon. <laughs> but then you'd go in to say, pray with her, and Miss Bertha say, have you met out your sin list? Yeah. As far as you know. There's no unconfessed sin in your life, as far as I know. I said, okay, let's pray. And boy, well, she'd pray for you first, that you'd just die to yourself. And that God would fill you with the Holy Spirit. And you'd live in spiritual power. And then you'd start praying for other things and other matters. And man, I, I'm telling you, the power of answered prayer was manifested in every way. I've seen a lot of people who were saved go from one level spiritually to another level spiritually. They, they, they really grew, and you could see a tremendous change in their life. But I've never seen one like this. I had a minister of music at Woodlawn Baptist Church in Decatur, Georgia, named Jack Gunner. Jack was, um, he was a good minister of music, and he was a wonderful man. He loved Jesus. He was saved. But, you know, he just didn't have any joy. And he didn't seem to be, you know, uh, it just seemed to, to be a little bit too um, flat, and legalistic. Not legalistic, just flat. But it was just his personality. Well, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> he went in there and prayed with Miss Bertha. He came out of there smiling. And I saw him 25 years later and he was still smiling. <laughs> God trans formed his life man he had such joy and such peace he was so excited about jesus i don't i'm not sure he was excited about anything before that but i am telling you god changed but you see he got on praying ground where god could touch his heart and i saw life after life after life after life just i could just call their names to you right now how they just went on with God. Now let me say this. I want to tell you how to get on praying ground. I'm, I'm going to tell you how to do that. And then we're going to say a couple of things. And then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Okay. Now if you're going to get on praying ground. The Bible says that he hears the cry of the righteous. He hears the prayer of the righteous. Let me give you three verses. James 5. I gave it to you earlier says at the end of that, the last part of that verse, the effectual, fervent prayer of a what? Righteous person avails much. Then there's a verse in Psalm 34, verses 15 through 17. Now don't miss this. The eyes of the Lord are open to the, are on the righteous. Oh, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut them off from remembrance. Uh, uh, remembrance of them from the earth. And then there's a verse in Proverbs. Verse 15, 29. Where it talks about the cry of the righteous. The Lord is far from the wicked. Listen to this now. He hears the prayer of the righteous. Man, that's just over and over and over again. Righteous, 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 righteous. Righteous people pray with power. And God answers. Now, you need to understand, and you do understand, that when you were saved, when you repented of your sin, turned from your sin, and Jesus Christ came to live in your heart, 
God took all your sin. Now stay with me. I'm talking about people who are born again, people who have been who are new creation in Christ, people who have been changed, not perfect, but changed by the power of God. When you were saved, and you know that you are saved, God took your sin and placed it on Jesus, and took Jesus' righteousness and placed it on you. So, when you get down to pray, God, you even have access to God because God sees you in the righteousness of Jesus. It's called the imputed righteousness charged to your account. But, then there's the practice of righteousness. Oh, I am righteous in Christ. But then i got to practice righteousness. It's called righteous living. Living righteously. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. God's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. But your sins and iniquities have separated between you and your God. And it's hidden your face from, his face from you. So we have to practice righteousness. And we have to be living a righteous life. Now, our sins have to be confessed up to date. And that's, I, there's no other way to say it. If you have unconfessed sin in your life, the Holy Spirit is grieved and quenched, and you are not going to have power when you pray. It's that simple. It's the Word of God. Well, you say, all right, Brother Fred, I want to get on praying ground. All right? Let me tell you. First thing you do is this. You come before God with a surrendered heart. Now, if you don't take this first step, it's no use for you to listen to the rest. You said, Lord, I want to pray with power. I want to see people saved. I want to see lives changed. I want to see families healed, children brought back. I want to see this nation with its wickedness and ungodly culture. I want to see it changed, Lord. I want to see the church of Jesus Christ come alive. God says, okay. I want that just as much as you do. But you've got to go before God with a surrendered heart. In other words, there's no area of your life that he does not have access to. There's no area of your life that you have not surrendered to him. It's kind of like this. Your, your, your heart is like a home. Like a home. And so there are rooms in your heart. Here's one room and another room and another room and another room. And you say, God, here's the key to this room. God, here's the key to this room. God, here's the key to this room. I'm not giving you the key to this room. That's my room. And it's got a sign right there on the door. Keep out, God. That's my room. Let me tell you something. You're wasting your time praying until you give God that room. You've got to have a surrendered heart, y'all. And that's not hard. My goodness, if Jesus did all he did for us, if he died for all, then all were dead. And that we who live ought not to live for ourselves, but for him who loved us and gave himself for us. This thing of surrender, you know, one thing I love about when you sing and sometimes you feel led to raise your hand, you know what that, when you, what that is? That's the international sign of surrender. Remember seeing the war movies and they all held their arms up. We surrender. You get on praying ground when Jesus has the key to every room in your life and you're surrendered. I love what it says in Philippians 2. We'll let you see this. Philippians 2, and it's, um, I think it's verse 9. This is what it means to surrender. God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee shall bow. That's surrender. You bow in before the king. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's got all the keys. He's got all the keys. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to get on praying ground? You've got to have a surrendered heart. Here's the second thing. Not much, just I'm almost through. Here's the second thing. You come before him with a surrendered heart. You want to get on praying ground. Then you walk in the light. Now the Bible, I want to give you the verses about what it means to walk in the light. All right, here's the first one, verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him. That God is light. 
And in him is no darkness at all. If we say, I got fellowship with him. I'm on praying ground. If we say that we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we are lying. And do not practice the truth. Here it is. But if we just walk in the light, what does light do? It exposes. Light exposes. Listen, if you came in here and all the lights were off, you wouldn't see all this stuff. But you could just turn on one light and you might be able to see this pulpit. There's one thing about it. Light penetrates darkness. Light exposes that which only can be seen when the light shines. And says, but if we walk in the light, we allow the full light of God's Spirit to shine in us. We will have fellowship with one another. And guess what? When we walk in the light and respond to the light, look what happens. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So being on praying ground is you've surrendered every area of your life to the Lord. He has all the keys. And you're walking in the light. Walking in the light. And you've got you've to pray Psalm 139. I want to show you this. So I'm surrendered. I'm surrendered. I'm walking in the light. I love the light. And I'm saying, God, just shine your light in the depths of my being and reveal any evil, any darkness, any sin. And what you do is this, Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lord, I'm inviting you. God, I I, I could be deceived. I could not understand. So, Lord, I ask you to let the light shine. You are light and use no darkness at all. So shine, Lord, in my heart and search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. I'll repent, Lord, and lead me in the way everlasting. I'm telling you, we allow God to search us. And when he shows us anything, we're quick and eager to repent. This is one one other thing. We are eager to repent. We just are surrendered. We're walking in the light. We invite God to search us, and we're eager to say, Lord, it's a sin. I'm not going to hold on to it. I repent. I turn away from it. And then... Let me show you something. And I have to say this because if I don't, the devil will beat some of you up. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Now, conviction is when the Holy Spirit puts a finger, his finger, finger of God on your heart and says, that's a sin. And you say, Lord, I agree. I'm not going to rationalize it. I'm not blaming on others. It wasn't the way I was raised. I'm I'm responsible for my sin. And so, God, I confess that sin. I agree with you that it's a sin. He said the blood of Jesus cleanses you. It's gone. It's forgotten. So God's not going to bring that up again. He's not going to bring it up again. But you know what condemnation is? The Holy Spirit may have convicted you of a sin. You've confessed it. God's washed it away and he's forgotten it. But the devil keeps reminding you of it. You can't pray. Look what you did two months ago. You can't pray. Look what you did before you got saved. You can't pray. And and what he does, condemnation is you've already confessed it and God's already forgiven you. But the devil keeps reminding you of it and condemning you and trying to discourage you by condemning you. Don't you receive that. Once you repent... And confess a sin, it's gone. It's gone. You say, but it was bad. But the blood of Jesus is greater. And so I'm not talking about living under condemnation. Well, I can't pray. I never will be righteous enough. I'm not good enough. That's condemnation. That is not God. I tell you what I love about the Holy Spirit. He convicts you. You You agree with God it's a sin. And he takes the blood of Jesus and washes it from you. And it, you, it, it's over. It's gone. You don't have to live there. You're forgiven. And man, you're on praying ground. Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, um, 
he talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm just going to read these. Now, I want you to do something while I read them. Will you ask the Lord to show you if any of these are in your life? Because he's going to talk about not grieving the Holy Spirit. Now, this is just the Word of God. You can see it. Therefore, put away lying. Are you walking in truth? Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Remembers one of another. Any lying in your life? Be angry and do not sin. Have, have you got anger that you won't deal with? Do you go to bed angry? Have you got anger in your heart? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. He said, don't you go to bed with anger in your heart. Don't give place to the devil. By the way, anger gives place to the devil. Then he goes on to say, don't, don't steal. Let him that stole steal no longer. Let him labor, working with his hands. What is good? That he may have something to give to those in need. Work hard, be blessed by God, and share what you've got with others. Then he talks about our, our mouth. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. Boy, that's where our biggest battle is. Let no corrupt word come out of your mouth. But what is good? Say what is good. What edifies people? Necessary for edification. What builds people up? Let your words edify people, build people up. Don't, don't let them be corrupt, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And then he goes on and says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. You can't pray. You don't have praying ground when the Holy Spirit's grieved. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. And then he, he kind of winds it up and see if you got any of this. Let all bitterness, wrath, that's anger with malice. You, you want somebody to be hurt. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor. That's loud arguing. Evil speaking be put away from you. Get it out of your life. With all, and you get rid of all malice. Intent, you've heard of murder with malice, it was with intent. You were intending to do it. Look, I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to talk about the Lord's Supper, how this applies to the Lord's Supper. There's not a one of us in this room that can say, I'm faultless. I'm faultless. First John says, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Oh, I'm faultless. No, I'm not. But God never said you could be faultless. But he said you could be blameless. Blameless. And you know when you're blameless? When there's not one sin in your life that you haven't confessed. I, I can honestly say to you this morning, as far as I know, I'm blameless today. I do not know right now, and if God shows me, I'll repent. But I do not know of any unconfessed sin in my life. As far as I know, I'm blameless. If God shows me, I'll deal with it. And you can be blameless. Your sins are confessed up to date. In fact, you know what the Bible said? That we're to be blameless and harmless. I want you to look at this verse. In Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Now, look what it says. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Here it is. That you may become blameless and harmless, the children of God. You're not faultless, but you're blameless. You're walking in the light. Your sins are forgiven. That you may become blameless and harmless without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Blameless and harmless, among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know why? There doesn't seem to be any real power in prayer in most religious, religious organizations in, in America. And you know why there seems to be so much no real, real power of prayer in, in many of our lives? I, I'm telling you, it's because we, have, we don't think about sin the way God thinks about it. God hates sin, and he will not have fellowship with it. But he'll forgive you. And you can get on your knees and be blameless and harmless, the child of God, without rebuke, who shine as lights in the world, 
blameless and harmless, who shine as lights in the world in this crooked and perverse generation. Well, now we're going to have the Lord's Supper. But did you know that the Bible teaches when you have the Lord's Supper that you've got to be, have your sins confessed up to date? You know, it's pretty a sobering thing. Now, you don't have to be faultless. But as far as you know, you have to be blameless. Let, let me just read to you. It, it's in, uh, it's in um, 1 Corinthians 11. And it's going to be up on the screen. And it's going to tell us how that, all right. Now, this is about the Lord's Supper. And we're fixing to take it. I want you to, I received from the Lord that which I delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus on the same night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said that take eat, this is my body. Which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Forgiveness. Sins and iniquities you remember no more. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. But look, for as often as you eat this bread. And drink this cup, you proclaim that the Lord's death, you, you remember what Jesus did for you on the cross till he comes back. But look at the next verse. Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What he's saying is, this is not just another ceremony. It's not another ritual. You are remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when you do that, you don't come to the table with sin in your heart. No, you don't come to the table with sin in your heart. You have your sins confessed up to date. He says, let a man examine himself. Ooh. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So, when you get ready to pray, you've got to be on praying ground and be blameless. But you know, when you come to the Lord's Supper, you don't come with sin in your heart. You need to be blameless. And that means your sins are confessed up to date. And if they aren't, you can do, you get it right right now. Then you can do it. But don't you dare if you got, you say, I ain't going to deal with that sin, Brother Fred. Well, just let it pass you by. Just let it pass you by. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself. Ooh. Man, I didn't know the Lord's Supper was so important. And God, that, that God was so holy that he said, man, just don't you come. Unless you've confessed your sins up to date. But you see, God's willing and eager to forgive. It's not hard. It's not God shutting the door to shut us out. It's God saying, but you've got to come with a clean, clean hands and a pure heart. So some people are, are die because that we pray for the sick and they don't get healed because they came to the Lord's Supper unworthy. Well, let's bow our heads for a moment, okay? I'm going to ask our men to get ready to receive the Lord's Supper, but I'm going to pray first. And then I'm, I'm, I'm going to have you pray. Okay. You say, Brother Fred, I've been praying about a lot of things. And I just really haven't seen the answer to my prayers. You know, I haven't seen the power of God in answering my prayers. And I believe it's God's will. I believe it's God's will. But I pray and pray and I keep knocking and keep knocking and keep knocking and, you, and keep on. But let me say this. You've got to be on praying ground. And I want to ask you right now. Before we take the Lord's Supper. Will you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you any sin that's in your life? Would you ask him to convict you? Will you invite the Holy Spirit to convict you of any sin, any iniquity 
that is in your heart. And then will you make a deliberate choice to say, God, I agree with you. That is a sin. And it's a sin against you. I can't blame anybody else. I can't rationalize it. I can't say times have changed. No, no, no. God, you haven't changed. So when the Holy Spirit puts his finger on that sin or that sin or that sin, you say, Lord, I agree with you. You brought me here this morning. You've exposed it in my heart. And Lord, I confess it. it I agree with you that it is a sin. Now, if there's never been a time when you repented of your sin and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that's where you've got to start. You say, well, Brother Fred, how does a person get saved anyway? First of all, you've got to know you're lost. You can't be saved till you know you're lost. But you say, well, I know I'm lost. I'm like the guy said the other day when somebody asked him, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? He said, I'd go to hell. I want to ask you, if you died today, where would you go? So if you say, well, Brother Fred, I don't believe I'm saved, then confess to God that you're lost. Confess him to him that you are a sinner. You deserve hell. But then thank him that Jesus died on the cross in your place and took every one of your sins and that you repent. You turn away from your sin. You turn away from your wickedness in the past. You turn away from your lifestyle and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and turn the control of your life over to him. Now, now listen, I'm t- it's not an emotion. It's just a deliberate choice of repenting. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, save me. Forgive me. Change my life and give me the power to live a holy life. So if you say, but I'm saved, okay? Then you ask the Lord, show me anything in my life. And I'm, 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 I'm going to let, just be quiet a moment and ask, ask God to search me. And I want him to search you. And any sin that he put his finger on, it may be a number of sins. You just agree with God. Yes, Lord, that is a sin. I choose against it. I do not want it in my life. Wash it away in the blood of Jesus. Now, if you say, well, I'm not ready to do that. I'm going to hold on to it. Then that's between you and God. But I pray to God you'll repent. 